This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here and in association with my good friends at CDF Capital and my new friends at Food for the Hungry. I'm excited because today we get the chance to interview someone that I just uh, deeply, deeply respect, uh, someone who I have just grown to appreciate uh, his leadership. His, his teaching ability has been something that I've known for years, but just his friendship uh, is just off the charts. Um, friends, you're going to love this interview uh, because Darren Whitehead is an incredible communicator, incredible leader, incredible pastor, and I am literally so, so thrilled uh, to have my friend Darren Whitehead on the Craft and Character podcast. Darren, welcome. Thank you, Steve, and and thanks for that introduction. You read it just as I wrote it for you. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you know, Darren, typically um, what we do on this podcast is we um, look at a teach that the person that I'm interviewing has done. We play a snippet of it, and so I've got a I've got a piece of the Holy Roar talk that I want to just play so that people can get a sense. The third word. The third Hebrew word for praise is the word tehillah. Everybody say tehillah. Easy now. <laughs> well, honey, I could only remember one of the words. Uh... <laughs> Banana tehillah. <laughs> tehillah is a hymn. It's a song of praise. It's a new song. It's a spontaneous song. The Hebrew word for psalm is the word tehillah, also translated hymn or praise. The, 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 the Hebrew word for the book of psalms is the tehillim, the collection of tehillah. And it means to sing a song, but it means more than that. You notice the Bible doesn't say anywhere, sing an old song to the Lord. I mean, we do it, right? But over and over again, it says, sing a new song. Sing a new song of the goodness of God. Sing about what He did this morning. Sing about your story. Sing about the unique things that He's done in your life. Sing a new song. Sing a spontaneous song. Sing a song that doesn't rhyme. I moved to America 20 years ago. Many of you know my story. But I moved to the US 20 years ago this month. And uh, I came to the US to work in Christian radio. That's, that's why I came here. I was in the American embassy in Melbourne, Australia, standing in line with a bunch of other hopeful immigrants. And I made my way to the front and I said to the lady, hi, my name's Darren Whitehead. And she said, oh, I think I've seen your file. She leans over, she grabs something and she hands it to me and I open it up and to my astonishment, she's given me a visa, but it's the wrong kind of visa. I did not apply for this visa and I was not eligible for this visa, right? She gave me a pastor's visa. I had never been a pastor before. I had no plans to ever become a pastor. And I had this pastor's visa. 
sometimes people say to me, how did the Lord call you into the ministry? I say, the US government called me into this thing. And out of fear of deportation, I just keep preaching every single week, every week. I'm terrified. But that's my story. As inspiring as that is, that's my story. And to my knowledge, no one has yet written a song with those details. It's still available. Sometimes when I'm singing a song, I'm lifting my voice and I'm thanking God for who He is. This is the essence of Tehillah. Sometimes I'm driving in my car and I'm like, God, thank you for my three little girls. Thank you for my American wife. I mean, she's my only wife, but I mean like, thank you. Thank you for what you have done in me. My story, I sing my story back to God. I just gotta say, this teach became a book um, but before it was a book, I heard it and I, I was blown away by it. And I would love just if you could like just spend a few moments and talk about how did this teach come to be? Um, because you look at the seven kind of phrases for worship, but, but bring us in the little backstory on this teach. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. And, uh, thanks for having me on this. Uh, I've been listening. This is a great podcast and I'm, uh, I'm loving it. So um, the, the Holy Raw Talk, what became the Holy Raw Talk was part of a series that uh, I was doing um, the beginning of, I think it was 2017. And uh, we were doing a series in the Psalms. It was just called Awake My Soul. And we were spending a different Psalm, uh, you know, time in a different Psalm each week. And I was in Psalm 145. And I was having a conversation with... Um, uh, a buddy of mine, a mutual friend of ours, John Tyson. He and I have been friends since high school, which is 30 years ago, by the way. It's crazy. Um, yeah. So anyway, we, we were talking about that and he was talking about the different Hebrew words for praise. And uh, I, I started a deep dive of, of, of sort of researching that. In Psalm 145, in the, in the opening four verses, um, Praise is used, the, word, the English word praise is used four times, but it's three different Hebrew words. And uh, John had done a bit of research on it, and then I started doing some research on it. I ended up reaching out, this is later, but I ended up reaching out to a, um, a Hebrew scholar who lives in um, Israel. And we just started doing a deep dive on the scholarship on each of these words and, and all of that. So that, that was the, the genesis was that it was a, it was a talk that I gave on praise in the middle of a series. And uh, it turned into a book, as you said, um, that Chris Tomlin and I wrote together. Um, Chris and his wife, Lauren, are members of our church. And Chris happened to be there that day. And he's not there a lot, honestly. He's traveling a lot. But he was there that day. And uh, afterwards, he reached out to me. And he said, man, I've never heard that before. And, you know, I've written worship songs for the majority of my adult life. Um, and that, and that's how he's like, man. People need to know about this, you know. Um, and and he said, you know, you need to turn that into a book. And and I said, well, why don't we do it together? So um, that was the the genesis of of what ultimately became Holy Raw. And uh, the, the the and 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 you know, like I wasn't the first person to talk about seven Hebrew words of praise. Um, there have been other people that have talked about it, four words, eight words, whatever. There have been others that have 
because when you look at multiple translations of the Bible, um, the word praise shows up a lot. And, uh, you know, when you start doing a deep dive into the different Hebrew words for them, you know, there's a, there's a broad number of words. Yeah. I think what's, what's amazing though, is what you were able to do. And again, I, I saw this talk given, uh, four different times, uh, once online, <laughs> once in a church, um, and then twice while you were on tour, um, yeah. cause you and Tom and some other people did like a tour of it. So I saw you could it. probably do it yourself now. I, I mean, there we go. Uh, one, yeah. <laughs> and then, but then I also saw you do the seven week series at your church. Yeah. But what I thought was so incredible was one weekend you came up to Chicago and, you know, there was a lot of people who, you know, they, they like worship, but I think in, in many ways, um, hands in the pockets, you know, maybe yeah. sing, maybe occasionally one hand will come out with the, right. you know, palms up, like I'm, right. I'm, I'm taking ground, I'm taking right. ground. And I just watched you go through in 35 minutes succinctly all of these different verses from the book of Psalms, seven Hebrew words you did. You you went and did a, a little 2016 Chicago Cubs celebration, which yeah. just moved my heart deeply. And, <laughs> and, and you talked about how like this is all within us. And then you invited people to worship afterwards. And I, I just, I had never seen, um, I, I, maybe this doesn't make that podcast, but let me just say this. You know, I've seen like uh, Robert Morris from Gateway Church and just do a talk about generosity and giving. Yeah. And I've seen yeah. the next week generosity go through the roof. He just right. has an ability to do that. I've seen people do that. Pete Gregg talk about prayer. Boom, just does that. Mike Pilavachi talk about evangelism and the Holy Spirit. Boom, it just changed. Yeah. The temperature changed. And yeah. you were able to do that from a scholarship side, from a theology side, from an inspiration side. I mean, this is such an anointed talk. And the, and the reason I just say this is what fascinated me was oftentimes you, you can take seven words and try to accomplish that in a 35 minute teach and it not work. Yeah. And yet somehow it just slowly built and built and built and built. And I think I just got curious, like how did you architect that? How yeah. did you architect that in a way? One, again, you had, you had one sermon for each of those, you know, at church of the city that you, that you were doing in 2017. Then you combine that into one whole talk. And then even the arena one, it was shorter and it tighter. Was, yeah. You had like three different versions of the same yeah. talk. Uh, and it just, it, it was so beautiful to see what you were able to eliminate in certain contexts, what you were able to expand in other contexts. Um, and then also then putting into a written form. So I guess for the 35 minute, how did you architect that? Um, if, if you, if you don't mind sharing. Well, yeah, well, and and you saw the talk after I'd done it a number of times. I mean, most of the time I'm given a talk and I give it once or twice on that weekend and then I pack it up and it goes into the archives, you know. Right. And um, I, I'll probably never do this again, but I've given this talk a hundred times. You know, I did 90 cities with Chris. Wow. And, and so... Um, you, you get the privilege, you get the luxury of refining something, you know, and I would, I would tweak it every night slightly, 
But I mean, when I was in about 60 or 70 times that I've done that thing, I'd start to get it kind of dialed down. Well, you're not wasting words and, you know, I had to actually get it down to about 23 minutes when I was touring with Chris. And um, seven movements in 23 minutes was, was a challenge. But, you know, it was actually a discipline that I really enjoyed. Um, in, in answer to your question, you know, on the 35-minute on the version, um, just from a communication standpoint, I ordered the words in a way where they built on one another. Mm. And um, so the, the very start, the, the very first word that I used was the word yada that just talks about simply just lifting your hands. And in a very self-deprecating way, I talked about the fact that I did not come from a tradition where people, you know, were demonstrative in their worship expression at all. And uh, in fact, we tended to make fun of people who were, you know. And, and so in terms of disarming some of my core target audience of people that are going, you know, you might be one of these guys that lifts your hands and, and, and has some sort of um, emotive response to, to worship. I'm not one of those people. Well, I began the talk by saying, you're, that's who I am. Right. You know? And then, and then just shared my personal story of what happened inside of me um, as I became someone um, who couldn't contain my affection for the Lord and, um, and how much the Psalms are filled with actual demonstrative, exuberant expressions of passionate worship to God. And, and, and how much we have drifted from that in certain traditions where um, reverence is, is maybe the only uh, expression that we have. And, and when you start diving into the actual word halal, it's more like a party than it is reserved reverence and honor. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's really interesting because... You know, sometimes when you are teaching, you're wearing different hats, right? There's the yeah. there's the leader hat. You know, I've had Gene Apple on this podcast, and he talks about you know, kind of di- pointing people in a direction that he senses that God's wanting to take the church. Um, but really, like you said, that there was a tour guide that you were basically leading people, going, "Hey, out of my own life, I wasn't yes. one of these people." And and I remember like sitting in the front row listening to this talk, and I'm going, "You just disarmed." so many stoic Swedes in the audience, you know what I mean? And just like, but, but in, in a sense you, but also like inviting them. And it was almost like this, like train that was just building momentum. And I was like, I remember just sitting there writing down going, Oh, this is a masterclass. Like he not, I'm not manipulative. I'm not saying that in any way, shape or form. You were just building this case of like through your own life, through the power of the text, through the demonstrative descriptions of what these words, I mean, you go into Barak, you go into all of these words, and yeah. all of a sudden it's like, he just built, 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 built. And, you know, and, and I just kept thinking like, did you have to break down the seven and go, okay, if I got 35 minutes, basically I gotta have an intro, I know I got a challenge, we'll take three minutes for each of those, so now I'm at 29 minutes, 29 divided by seven, like, were you breaking yeah. it down to like, I got four minutes to heat, hit each of these chunks? Or were you like, 
a couple of them are going to live a little bit longer and a couple of them yeah. can be a little bit shorter. How did, how did you yeah, do that? Yeah. So some of them, you, you know, like some of them are more profound than others. Yeah. And, and, and some of them have, uh, you know, content wise, some things that people have never heard before. So, so when I talk about yada, which means to lift your hands, like uh, you've got it, right? Yes. <laughs> We're yes. done. Um, but when we talk about to healer, to healer is this idea of a spontaneous song, a song that you just sing that is like, it's the song that only you can sing. It's the song of what God has done in your life. And then to culminate that, Psalm 22 verse three, which is a, the, the favorite uh, verse that every worship leader in America quotes. It's the one that, you know, you dwell in the praises of your people. It's often translated. That word is to healer. Yes. So it is like, when you sing this personal song to the Lord, your song, um, that is the song where heaven leans over and, 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 and like heaven invades that moment. Well, that's kind of some new info to, to a lot of people. So I, I would spend a little bit longer on that. I tell you, the luxury of seven words is that I can switch gears without using the clutch. So, wow. so you're not going... You, you don't have to like sort of morph into the next thing or let's go back to the text or, you know, to, to say, I'm going to give you the seven Hebrew words. You know, I'm, I'm framing up this talk by most of you know that there are four Greek words for love. Right. Um, everyone's nodding. You know, I've heard that before. You know, do you know that there are seven Hebrew words for praise? The first one is, you know, and you just sort of like jump in. So I can do something, tell a story, um, maybe use humor but I can switch really quickly to go. The second Hebrew word is I can interrupt myself with, yes. and the third Hebrew word is, you know? And so um, there's a luxury in doing that to get a lot of content done because you can switch gears so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. This is a weird question. And you mentioned giving it a hundred times. Is there, yeah. what's this, what's the second most talk you've given and how many times would that be? The second most talk I've given is, is probably my life verse, which is um, Habakkuk 3, verse 2. And um, it's, you know, about the fame and deeds of the Lord. Yeah. I've probably given that talk 30 times, maybe 40 times. I've, I've, I've given it a lot, you know, on the road and yeah, all of that yeah. kind of stuff. But nothing like this. Right. And, and I think, you know, you've, you've had weekends, you know, Church of the City. You, you get done and you're like, that, that, that was... God used that talk. That yeah. was amazing. And then you have, you know, the Habakkuk teach, which I've heard you do um, when you came and did a student ministries uh, camp and you spoke that and it was just like people lost their minds. Um, but then you have like a holy roar talk that you're giving over a <laughs> hundred times that you're like, this is, this is like, this is incredible. How do you fight the urge to go, okay, every talk, has to be Holy Roar, part two, yeah. part three, part four. How do you let that just go? Because I think a lot of younger voices and 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 gifted communicators, they they've they've taught a message, but it, it almost like raises the bar. Like right. this is what the new normal is. Yeah. How do you, how do you how do you make sense of that? Well, Holy Roar, as it turned out, I didn't know at the time, but it, it, it's sort of become one of my life messages. Yeah. You know, and I think we all, we all get probably a couple of those. 
And it comes so clearly out of my own story that, you know, it's, it's in some ways a theological testimony for me of moving from knowledge to experience in just my Christian walk. So I, I realize I may never have another talk that I certainly give as often. Um, but it's, I mean, th- here's, here's the real misnomer for those of us who preach week in and week out, you get a guest speaker in and they just light the place on fire. Yeah. And you're like, gosh, you know, and, and, and you, you fight the temptation of, pe- you know, of people sort of going, man, man, when so-and-so comes in, it's so good, you know? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, they've given that talk 30 times, you know? And they're playing the hits, you know? They've got all their best stories in there, their, their best like the illustrations that make you cry at the end and the ones that bring raucous laughter and the yeah. best theological insights. Like they just morph that into one singular talk <laughs> and, and, uh, and it sets the place on fire, you know? Me, in our church, like we, we teach through a book and there are some passages that lend themselves to be more inspirational than others, you know? So I, I think being in the long haul, I've been, I've been a pastor for 23 years. And um, I've learned over the years that there are going to be certain subject matters that are just going to, they're going to evoke a kind of response from people. But my, my uh, charge as a teacher of God's word is to not just give them, I, I mean, I'm not saying it's candy, but not just giving candy every right. Like we've got to give the, the counsel of God's word. I mean, we're making disciples. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I did a talk a week and a half ago that was from uh, James three. We're teaching through the book of James right now. And it was about faith and works. And, and uh, I just remember looking at that going, man, I don't know if I can share a single original thought on this particular text right here. And, and I would have, I would have not done it if it was up to me. <laughs> you know, I would have <laughs> like, like, this is, this is not going to be a particularly exciting talk to give. But that's why I like teaching through a book because you yeah. don't get, you know, you teach me the Sermon on the Mount, you're teaching divorce, you're teaching about lust, you're teaching about, you know, uh, money, um, like hard stuff. Yeah. That if we had the option, you, you, you'd be like, I think I'm just going to sidestep that one and move on, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, they, they, a lot of it's got to do with subject matter. A lot of it's got to do with playing the hits, you know, when you're, when you're taking something on the road. Yeah. But I, I definitely no longer put that pressure. I mean, I'm not trying to give a holy raw talk every yeah. week. I'm trying to help people know Jesus over the long haul. And, and that's, I knew that you were going to say that. Like I, that's one of my, the, the pieces I just so deeply respect about you um, because it's, it's easy. I, I think it's easier, you know, just to go in, like you said, as a guest communicator, bring those hits. But there's something really, really powerful. And I feel like Church of the City, um, what you and Tyson are doing, you know, all throughout, you know, Nashville, greater Nashville area and New York City. But there's there is this sense and I'm like grabbing my Bible right now. Like you guys live under the text. And it's like having having a being grounded in a book. I I love it because I love tuning in and listening to you because I've watched you not sidestep. I've watched you lean in. But it also brings, begs a big question because, you know, 187 people, they say, each day are moving into Nashville. Uh, they're all yeah. leaving Chicagoland, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're, all, yeah. they're, all, they're all coming into like, but, but also in Nashville, you would say that, 
you know, in many ways, Nashville, Colorado Springs, Grand Rapids, Michigan, they're, they're pretty well um, grounded Bible based cities. Um, but, but as, as you like even said that about James three, like, I don't know if I'm going to have an original thought you're, you're speaking often to a number of people and I'm not saying all 100%, but I, but there's probably a good percentage of people who are more grounded in the Bible just culturally than other cities are in the, in the U S how do you, how do you continue to, to say, man, I gotta, what's your, what's your mindset going into a message to say, Hey, I got to keep taking them deeper and deeper and deeper because you do this intuitively, man. I again, the James series. Um, last year, I listened to a series and I was like, "Man, this, this, this has the range for someone who is exploring that makes them lean in, but someone who you know went to Vanderbilt or Asbury Seminary is leaning in. How, how do you cast such a wide net when you teach?" Well, Nashville, the profile of Nashville has changed a lot. You know, I moved to Nashville in 1998 the first time. Okay. And Nashville has doubled in population. It used to be about a million people. Now it's two million people. Mm. And um, to a large degree, you have people experiencing a religious hangover in the South. Wow. You know, they are overchurched and underwhelmed. And, um, so I'm often speaking in, in my mind, I'm, I'm often speaking to, you know, the, the sort of the three categories of people you study in seminary, uh, you know, churched, unchurched and dechurched. And the dechurched people are the ones who grew up and they got disillusioned with church and they got hurt and they left. We have a lot of people who are coming back to church and they haven't been there for 10 years or they've been hurt in another city. Wow. I, I tell you, Steve, this has been a huge surprise to me, but the number of former pastors who are in our church right now um, is staggering. And I got to tell you, it would be hard to be like in another church and just after being the guy who's teaching the Bible every week and all of that, and you're just showing up and you're just like sitting there and it'd be hard. Yeah. Um, I always meet with those guys when they, when they asked it to meet. Because I, I, you know, I want to hear their story and how they're doing and all of that. But I, I think that you know, you just you just talked about the text and the authority of the text. Um, we are text people. Yeah. Um, I believe that the power is in God's word. It's not in my commentary on God's word. Right. Right. You know, and and so you know, tradition that we have is we stand for the reading of God's word every week. We read a text and, and then we start, you know, pulling it to pieces. Um, I think that uh, people that have been in church a long time, people that have never been in church and people who are a little bit wounded and who are trying church respect when you grapple with difficult things. Mm-hmm. And it's a surprise, right? Because I think sometimes our instinct is to, um, make the Bible more palatable in case people are going to be offended by certain things that it says. Right. And, and so we want to downplay certain things and we want to upplay other things. And, you know, we want to talk more about the love of God than the fear of God. Right. Yep. Yep. 
And what's interesting to me is that often it's exactly the opposite. You talk about the fear of God. There is something inside of someone where that resonates so much more because it's been underplayed than God wants to be a best friend, right? Right, right. You start talking about like he's holy and his holiness will not be mocked. And he's a God of justice and judgment. And, you know, uh, and, and we should fear him. Fearing God is the beginning of, of wisdom. Wisdom, yeah, totally. Uh, I think that that actually resonates with people. You know, it's funny is I remember I was 17 years old. I grew up in Southern California and there was this church uh, right down the road from us, about 15 minutes from my house in Simi Valley. And I showed up to this church um, because the pastor had been a camp speaker and I thought it was just amazing. But I walked in and uh, the church was called Cornerstone. Pastor was Francis Chan and he's doing a talk on revelation and on God's holiness. And, and it's exactly this. I still can't get the images of what he declared out and growing up in a, a real like kind of grace filled, love filled like idea that that was something where I was like, I need to hear more of this kind of challenge, this kind of yeah. uh, pursuit, this kind of um, reality, you know, because uh, oftentimes I think we're, we're trying to cast a net so broad yeah. Uh, trying to keep everybody happy in a way yeah. that we sometimes dismiss uh, those those texts that are so important uh, for us to actually encounter the fullness of the presence of God, you know? And so I love that about you, man. Um, I, you, you've been a pastor for 23 years and you, you just said that and you've given, you know, so many Easter talks and in a couple weeks, um, Easter will be upon us. Talk about Church of the City. Talk about your process because there's going to be a number of pastors who are like two and a half weeks out going, what am I going to say on this that I haven't already said? Uh, how do you approach Easter? How does your team approach Easter? Let us in on a little of the backstory behind that. Sure. So, um, yeah, I, I find it difficult. Like I think every pastor probably finds it difficult, you know, um, coming up to Easter, how am I going to say something fresh that is going to be, um, you know, helpful for people on Easter Sunday? Uh, the last couple of years, uh, we have done like we did. This is not an original idea at all, but we did the 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 seven statements from the cross that Jesus gave, and that culminated on Easter Sunday. So yeah. I actually had a concept of what we were going to do. Um, a year later, we did the seven I am statements. Dude, here's that, the thing. If it's seven and Darren, it's gonna win. <laughs> it's right. gonna win, bro. It's gonna win. It just, <laughs> it just right. keep it with the seven. It's a holy number, man. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. So, uh, fortunately, the Bible helps us out a lot yeah. with that, right? <laughs> but so, uh, last couple of years, we've done seven statements on the cross. We've done uh, uh, seven I am statements. Um, I am really blessed to have such gifted musicians in our church. One of the things that we do um, when, with the seven statements on the cross, I wanted to finish with the phrase, it is finished, that statement, Ooh, yeah. which is actually not the, the final statement, but, but I just felt like that, that's, that's where I wanted to culminate. So I said to our worship team, uh, I needed you to write a song that has the phrase, it is finished in it, like an Easter song that says it is finished. And so they ended up writing this song called He Lives, um, which has really become an anthem for our church. 
And um, so, so part of our creative process was building it around that central idea. I have learned over the years, having done this for a long time, that um, if I spend a little bit of time several months out mm. and give the team a seed of, of a concept, it's going to enable them to start, you know, working with it, cultivating it. Uh, and so this year, my concept was I was reading in John 20, and I was looking at this about a few months ago, but I was reading in John 20 where uh, Mary Magdalene is the first eyewitness of the resurrection, and um, and she has this encounter with Jesus. It's a really, really profound story, as we know, um, where she doesn't, she thinks the gardener, and she doesn't know that it's that he is Jesus until he says her name. Yeah. And just the concept of like God is still in our midst whispering our names and he is closer than we even know. Well, the first case of evangelism happened moments a few verses after that where, where Mary says, I have seen the Lord. Just that phrase just, just stuck with me, just this, I have seen the Lord. And so I said to the team, so this, this concept may not even work. We're working on this right now. But, you know, like I, I'm, I'm saying to the team, I want you to write a song with the phrase, I have seen the Lord in it. Ooh, yes. And then I want to think about like in COVID in 2020, since last Easter, where have you seen the Lord? Where have you seen him provide and heal and restore and guide? Where have you seen him reconcile? Like that was basically the concept. I gave that to the team a few months ago and they have been working with that. But my process is really beginning with a seed, getting in the text myself and seeing what is fresh and what resonates with me. And then I sit down with the team and that can turn into a song or it can turn into, you know, we, we tend to be a little bit more creative on Easter than we generally are week in and week out. Week in and week out, we're pretty meat and potatoes. We're worship and, and Bible teaching, yep. you know? Yep. Um, we, we're not doing a lot of arts outside of that. But in uh, in Easter, we might do a little bit more. Yeah. No, I, you know, I just, I love that idea. That seed is, is fantastic because I think, especially when you talked about 2020 and you think about how many people aren't recognizing that the Lord was in their midst, right. you know, and right. until either somebody calls it out or until yes. they're like, Oh my goodness, like, yes, this is what God did, you know? And, and yes. then it's like, I, I've seen the Lord. Like yeah. I, I, I saw the Lord work yeah. around our table and our family. Like I, I have seen, and so just the, there's, there's something there, man. I, I, I'll definitely be praying for that. I can't wait to tune in on Easter um, just to see that because that, that's a, that is a line right there, man. That's powerful. Because you, if you get all of those people from Church of the City to be aligned with either that desire to say, I've seen the Lord, or yeah. literally proclaim, I have seen it, man, what might Nashville look like? That's powerful. Yeah. I love that, man. I love that. Hey, one of the the pieces that I just so am thankful for you, and you kind of alluded to it just a second ago, but you've, you're a pastor to pastors, and, um, you know, there, there have been moments in my life over the last 10 years where, you know, you just be like, Hey, come down to Nashville. And, 
And I'll, I'll never forget this one moment. Um, you invited me down uh, 2016, 2017, and and you knew I loved Johnny Cash. And you're like, yeah. I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna take you somewhere. And we got in the car, and you ended up taking me to these three pieces of property: two that used to be owned by Roy Orbison, one that was owned by uh, Johnny Cash, same architect. And we went to the party house, Roy Orbison. He showed me around. And and then we went to the next house where Roy Orbison's house used to be. But unfortunately, his kids were lighting firecrackers. You can tell me the story. The house burns down. And Roy Orbison sells this house to Johnny Cash for a buck. But he tells him, mm-hmm. you, you, can't, you can't build here. And, yeah. and then you, you tell me this story about how Johnny begins to kind of just basically like try to create a garden, but nothing will grow. And so he invites all of these pastors and priests from Nashville and they start to pray. And within a matter of months, this whole new life, it's like the Paschal mystery of death, burial, resurrection is happening. Yeah. And there's this Celtic cross on the side. And, and then to the, to the left of it, uh, Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees buys Johnny Cash's house and he uh, he ends up working his employees too hard or one of the employees gets bitter and then burns the house down. Yeah. And so you've got Johnny's house that's a pile of rocks. You've got this beautiful garden, which crazy. You, you told me, you're like, Steve, look up. I look up and there's all of these blackbirds just flying mm-hmm. over the garden, which is bizarrely referenced by one of Johnny Cash's family is he hasn't left the garden, which is crazy. Yeah. And then you've got this party house that all of these great songs in the 60s and the 70s were written, but has also become a place where some of the best Church of the City worship songs has been written now. And, sure. I, and I just remember you just pastoring me and being a friend and knowing me. And, um, and, and I, so I have this, this podcast, Crafting Character, and I, I care deeply about the craft of preaching. I, I believe in the power of the spoken word when people sit under the authority of God's inspired word. It's like heaven's breath for the soul. Like, I mm. believe in it. But I also really believe that our character and our relationship with Christ must lead the way. And that's just something yeah. I've just always appreciated about you. You've been at this 23 years. Um, you've been in some of the the biggest arenas, the biggest churches, the smallest churches. You you have done this. And one of the most important parts to me in this podcast is how do we become the kind of people where our character leads the way? And, and we've seen, we've seen it not, um, yeah. that character not lead the way. How, how do you make sense of it? Like what are, what are some practices? What are some thoughts that go in your mind um, when it comes to being a person that declares my character matters, my relationship with Christ matters. Give us some thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I, like you have seen some of my heroes, um, you know, uh, lives blow up. Yeah. And I've seen, um, I've seen burnout. I've seen their lives blow up. I've seen them break, break down. You know, I have, at times, I remember there was one time uh, a, a pastor friend of mine who led a prominent church. Um, he had he, his life had kind of blown up, and 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 he ended up resigning. And um, I remember going and seeing a mentor of mine, a man in his seventies that I deeply respect, 
And, and I, I, I said to him, what is stopping me from doing the same thing? Wow. What is stopping me from collapsing under the weight of, of what it is to do this week in and week out? Um, and I remember him saying to me, um, it really gets down to two words. He said, it is with or for. He said, you cannot do ministry for God. You can only do it with God. You don't create doors to go through. You only go through the doors that God opens for you. Like now as pithy as, and, and as simplistic as that sounds, that ministered to me so much because I thought I, I, I want to finish well. I want to, I want to endure and be faithful to the end. I want to persevere. Um, but I can't, I can't do that in my own strength and I can't do that trying to prove something. I've just got to do what the spirit is leading me to do. And we talk about that a lot at church, particularly because it seems like, you know, uh, every month, some sort of high profile ish person, uh, life is blowing up in, in, in different ways. You know, the, the sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about 14 practices, 14 transformational practices. Well, 11 of them center around money, sex, and power. Wow. And I know that the traps that are surrounding me are money, sex, and power. You know, like, like the human story is not particularly original. It's very repetitious. And um, the seduction of those three themes, particularly when uh, you're a, a public figure of some sort to a, to a local community, um, they're the things that we really got to keep a close eye on. Um, I meet with, uh, somewhat regularly, I meet with other pastors that are in our area in Nashville. Um, I lived in Nashville from uh, 1998 to 2004, and then I was in Chicago for eight years, and then I've been back since 2012. And um, I, one thing that's really interesting to me is that I felt like Nashville used to be a town of competition among churches, mm. and I feel like when I came back, it was more like a town of collaboration. And sincerely when i get together with these pastors and we hang out there is no image management and they're like most of the time these guys are going yes really hard they're not telling stories of like all the things that are working well they're talking about things that are just really really difficult and uh, everyone says that 2020 has been the most difficult year for pastoring and i would say that too i mean it's very very difficult tons of, of criticism tons of not knowing what to do, um, the entire playbook of how to do ministry that I have learned in 20 years is thrown out the window. Yeah. And, and we try to, you know, make our way and, and, and pastor people, shepherd people through such uncertain days. But um, this, this group of pastors has become um, a, a group of people that I just hold so dear because none of them are on my staff. None of them even listen to me preach. None of them really, you know, they have varying degrees of understanding about our particular church, but we're just peers. We're peers who, who feel the challenge of what we do and also feel the joy of what we do. And um, that is something that I've taken a lot of strength in. I'll tell you, a another thing is having people in your life who are going to mirror back honestly what they see. 
And uh, my wife is one of those. I remember talking to a pastor that I deeply respect and we were talking about, about getting feedback on sermons. And he told me that he early on said to his wife, I have lots of people who have opinions on, on my sermons. I only have one wife. I don't need your opinions on my sermons. And I, I have lived the exact opposite of that because my wife is very, very honest with me. And between services, I always talk to her because just about everyone else is on my payroll, right? Right. right. And so they're all going to say, oh, it's great, Pastor Darren. Good job. Brandy's going to say, you kind of sounded arrogant when you said that. Or do you realize that when you use that as an illustration, all the people who are X are feeling shame? Yeah. You know, the people generally around me aren't going to say that. You know, I have one elder uh, who is is definitely prepared to say to me and 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 has done this over breakfast. Hey, man, um, I, can I just mirror a couple of things back to you? Um, when you talk about this, you tend to talk about it in this way, and I just see a theme. You tend to be using this, and I just wanted to check in with you on that. I'm telling you, dude, I don't enjoy those conversations, <laughs> but they are a gift to me. Yeah. And um, they, they can sting a little bit at times, but I need that, man. Right. I don't need an echo chamber of people who just agree with me or think I'm great. Like I need honesty. I need, I have blind spots and I don't generally know what they are because they're called blind spots. <laughs> <laughs> so when people uh mirror them back or they go hey i would just check in on this thing you tend to talk about this a lot and man that's such a gift to me i i so have a heart for pastors to finish well yeah to persevere to not collapse underneath the thing that they end up building for god's glory but that thing itself ends up taking them out yeah. Um, I just recently preached through the seven, seven again, seven <laughs> letters in Revelation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're mirroring back to me how often I do this now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do a new series on eight of something. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we just did the seven letters in Revelation and, um, you know, talk about hard hitting content. I mean, this is Jesus writing from eternity, Jesus writing letters from heaven through John and, and he's given his opinions about how the church is doing. Yeah. And like, dang, dude, it's so confrontive yep. and hard. But I mean, the spirit of it is to persevere. Yeah. You know, I, I just love the idea. You know, he, he talks about, he uses, Jesus uses the phrase uh, about pillars, right? And, and it would be pillars of righteousness. And when you look at ruins, when you go to Rome and when, you know, you go to Israel and, and uh, you go to Turkey, you see these ruins, right? You know what the only things that are standing? Pillars. They're the only things that remain standing when everything else has fallen. And I think Jesus is calling us to persevere. He's calling us to be pillars even when we're among ruins. Yeah. And, and, and that is uh, deeply inspiring to me. That's so good, Darren. I, you know, I think, you know, for, for any of you listening, I, I don't want you to miss this. I, when I was a junior high pastor in, in Grand Rapids, 
um, I had these two small group leaders and one's name was Brent and the other one's um, name was Doug. And Doug would butter you up. He, he didn't care what I taught. He just wanted me to know that I was a beloved son and child of God. And after every message, he'd just come up and he'd hug me. He'd tell me, you, man, God loves you. God's so for you. God loves you. And, and it was always great. And then Brent was the truth teller. Brent right. would come up and be like, dude, what were you thinking? You know, and I was like, yeah. and so when you hear that, there's something inside of you that goes, I just want to hang out with Doug, right. you know? And then when you end up are married to a Brent who's like giving you that truth, you're right. like, I think for a lot of us, we, we haven't given permission for both and we end up boxing out one side and that just affects our growth. And, and I do love and the, the difference between with and for. We yeah. have to do this with God, and that is that is a connection to His Spirit leading and guiding us rather than the achievement, the winning, the four. I mean, right. and it's so easy for four to kind of creep into our lives. Um, yeah. And so I think that's a great, great reminder. Hey, in closing, I remember once you referencing a book. Um, I believe it was by Stephen Mansfield. Can you just talk for a moment what that book why that book was important to you um, and maybe some, just a couple of those themes, if you remember what that book was about. Yeah. So one night um, at a pastor's gathering, um, an author was with us, his name's, uh, and this is the pastor's gathering I'm talking about in Nashville. Um, just a small group of guys, there's probably 12, maybe 15 guys in the room, but Stephen was there and it was shortly after, this is several years ago, but it was shortly after a fairly high profile megachurch pastor had, had had um, you know a blow up and and was no longer leading, and uh, he had actually Stephen as an author he lives in D.C. and in in Nashville, and he had uh, written just a short book, and it was it's it's almost an enhanced white paper. I don't even think it was published physically. I think you can buy it on Amazon, but he had done basically a post mortem on CEOs and pastors after their lives had imploded. And he tabulated a collection of themes that were signs of an impending leadership crash. Uh, the book is called 10 Signs of a Leadership Crash. Stephen Mansfield, you can, you can, I think you download it on Kindle. But there are these seven themes that are seven indicators that uh, a, a, a pastor or a leader if unchecked, it's going to follow, it, it, it's going to eventuate in some sort of, of uh, collapse, of some sort of blow up, some crash. And uh, we kind of used that as just a discussion um, that night. And it was a very, very profound discussion. And, um, you know, there are, there are signs like withdrawing from people. There are signs like escapism and having a, a completely separate world. There's, there's signs like, um, um, he calls it, I think he calls it uh, forgetting the dance. But the idea is not experiencing joy and wonder in your ministry or, or, or in your leadership and what you're doing. There's another one that's called being out of season. And that is just this, this idea of like, I think that God is leading me out of this season and has been, and I'm overstaying and wow. I'm not recognizing 
that I actually should be gone from the season that I'm in. Anyway, provoked a very, very honest, very real, very transparent conversation. And uh, I, yeah, I think that's it's, it's something that's important for us to be looking at. Well, in full full like circle, you know, you, you brought up the Sermon on the Mount and you of the 14 transformational practices that Jesus offers, 11 of them have to deal with sex, money and power. And and the higher the stakes in a local congregation, a local community that we have the potential to really be opening up God's word and speaking into the hearts and the minds of people, that creates opportunities. And and what I love when I heard you talk about this was so often we just know the stories of people who have just blown past the wall. Yeah. I, I felt like this was one of the first times I heard of a book or a resource that gave us insight to know those indicators before we blow through the wall. Right. And I, I just, uh, for me, I'm like, man, I'm going to go order that book right now and just like read through that because I think it's important for us to have that in our vernacular, to be aware of that. Like, where are we overstaying? Where are we lost the joy? Where are we hiding? You know, and so um, for many of us, I, I I think that might be a great next step out of this episode of the Crafting Character Podcast. Darren, thank you. Thanks just for who you are, the pastor that you are, the teacher, preacher that you are. Um, I, I'm just so grateful for your friendship. Uh, I love you, man. And uh, I just love watching how God's favor is just pouring out upon you and the greater Nashville area. And just pray more blessing, more peace. Um, that God would just keep shining his face upon you as you continue to do his work as a father to three beautiful girls and um, a husband to Brandy. Uh, many, many blessings to you. And thanks for joining us, man. Thanks so much, Steve. I respect you so much and love you so much. And this is such an important podcast and, and community that you are developing here. Uh, I think that there are going to be pastors who don't implode because of certain things that you're sharing and um, it's so, so good, man. Just appreciate you so much. Awesome. Hey, Darren, lastly, where can people find you? If they wanted to find uh, Church in the City or you online, where could they find find you? Yeah. Uh, so on socials, it's just at Darren Whitehead and our church website is cotc.com. Perfect. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks so much, brother. And uh, many blessings. And I can't wait to listen to that Easter message. Thanks, mate.